Well, good morning, church family. Good morning. Good to be with you here in this way. I haven't done this for a while, so I feel like I'm out of practice. I don't know. Bear with me. But we are continuing in our Linton series, You Can Have All This World. And as we journey through this sacred season together, we're striving to pursue God more intentionally. We're striving to love Him more deeply. Our Heavenly Father is profoundly relational. He bids us seek Him. He bids us abide with Him. Talk to Him. Listen to Him with our hearts. This invitation is 24-7. No matter what's happening in our lives, God wants to be a part of it all. Now, I've been very blessed by God. Um, I've seen His hand at work in my life, blessing me, moving in my life, moving in the life of my family, moving in the life of, of friends that I've prayed for. I've also felt significant disappointment at times with God over people and situations that I've prayed for. I've been very frustrated with God at times, and occasionally I've even told him so. <laughs> Have you, anybody been there besides me? Okay, <clears throat> so I'm not alone. I prayed fiercely for Pastor Steve Brooks. Now, for those of you who are new to the church family, he was a co-founding pastor of our SCC family here. I prayed fiercely for him and for others of our church family. And I've got to say, I've been disappointed in some of those outcomes. I prayed for my mother to be healed. And she went to heaven in 2020. She is healed. But you see, I was selfish because I wanted her to remain in this life. I wanted her making me chocolate sheet cake <laughs> or, or her signature strawberry cake or even the special way she prepared the loft bedroom where Dana and I would stay when we would visit the house. There are people I currently pray for, for healing, for other uh, deliverance, people near and dear to my heart, some of which I haven't seen breakthrough yet. There are situations for which I pray for change. Occasionally, these things have influenced my pursuit of God or sometimes a lack thereof. My time with God is sometimes run hot or cold depending on how life's been working out for me in the moment. Ever been there? Ever done that? Well, as we seek to love God more deeply during this Lenten season and always, we turn our attention today to some people in Scripture who lived life with Jesus. I mean, literally lived life when he was on earth with Jesus, through the good times, through the tragic times. Today, I would like to look at the relationship between Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and Jesus. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles or Bible apps to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Now, this is a long chapter, and I'm not going to read it all. In fact, I probably won't read everything that's on the slide here completely. I'm going to jump down. I'm going to come to some of it again later on in the message. And also just to say, 
this is such a rich chapter of Scripture that there are many ways and many things you can glean from it. I do really want to focus on our relational aspect with Jesus today uh, through these Scriptures. So, John 11, starting at verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now jumping down to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And for the moment, I'm going to jump down to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said the same thing. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Word of the Lord. Now, Mary and Martha are enduring what is probably the greatest loss or tragedy of their lives to this point. Now, how they interact with Jesus, how they seek him, speaks into our own journey with Jesus, our own engagement of him through the peaks and the valleys. So let's look at the ways that Mary and Martha seek out Jesus. Now, first of all, I want to submit to you that Mary and Martha and Lazarus were friends with Jesus. They were his friends. 
John 11 isn't the first time we encounter Mary and Martha and Lazarus. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, we see that Jesus is a guest in their home. Another familiar story, and for my purposes today, I want to go there. And let's look at a portion of that account as well. Uh, not as lengthy as, as our last section, but Luke 10, starting at verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village <clears throat> where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And as I shared in class, I can still hear my grandfather saying this to my grandmother, Martha, Martha. <laughs> the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but Few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. From Luke 10. Now, do you have, or have you ever had in your life, a close circle of friends? You know, people, perhaps only a small few, but people that you felt most at ease with. People that... You felt like you could truly relax and be yourself with. Have you ever had that in your life? Recall back to John 11, uh, verse 3. The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love. It seems that Mary and Martha and Lazarus fit this description with Jesus. In John chapter 12, I'm going to go there later, we find Jesus again at dinner with these three. And we'll look at that down the road. But, you know, Jesus is the God of the universe. He modeled the divine love with all that he came in contact with. But these were his friends. And, you know, we are invited to that same friendship. Jesus invites us all to seek him more deeply, more intimately. How do we do that? How do we live friendship with Jesus? Well, back in Luke 10... Jesus was visiting in their home. He was teaching. He was sharing with all who were gathered there, including Mary, who apparently was uh, crossing some lines of social convention uh, just to take in what Jesus was sharing. What does it look like to be a friend of Jesus? Mary, Martha, and Lazarus sought out Jesus' presence. They wanted to be with him. In the New Living Translation, uh, some of the, the words of Jesus there are recorded. Mary chose the one thing worth being concerned about. Now, I don't think Jesus was being overly critical or critical at all, really, of Martha. Uh, the words, in fact, used in Luke 10 suggest that Martha was being pulled. She was being distracted in several directions, maybe all at once. You ever been there in your life? You ever had voices clamoring? Or you're being pulled and distracted. But Mary chose the one thing being concerned about. Now, I concede that I'm probably starting to sound like a broken record around here, like in my Bible study groups and things I lead, but I keep mentioning practice cultivating the presence of God. What's your approach to a special close friend 
Well, you want to spend time with them. In a previous message with you all, I was sharing about Joshua and the uh, tent of meeting, abiding there, which has become one of my very favorite concepts, abiding in the tent of meeting, out of which was forged his anointed strength for Jericho, for other conquests. Our first act of seeking God, our first act of devotion to Him is to spend time with Him as a friend. Seeking His presence, listening for Him to speak to our hearts, opening our hearts to His voice. Notice with me John chapter 15, verse 15, which says, I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends, for everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Jesus calls us his friends. You are his friend. Why? Because he loves us, and he's made us part of his inner circle. You and I are part of the family business. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Notice with me Revelation 3.20. Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with and eat with that person and they with me. Eating together. Portrait of closeness and fellowship. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart, longing to share life with you and be your close friend. How do we embrace friendship with Jesus? Letting Him in, spending time with Him, sharing your life with Him, listening for His voice. So they sought Jesus by being His friend, His close, intimate friend. I want to submit to you, they also sought Jesus even in their pain, even when life is hard. Now I want to return to John 11, and I'm going to read from the middle section of that uh, where Jesus encounters Martha. On his arrival, this is starting at uh, verse 17, John 11. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. <clears throat> we just read that. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, <clears throat> I am the resurrection and the life. It's like, Mary, who do you think you're speaking to? I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Now, Mary and, and Martha were raw with grief. The, the agony and the weight of their loss was just very present. It was very real. 
They had sent word to Jesus days ago, seeking his presence. Surely Jesus would make a difference, but he didn't come. He didn't come, at least not right away, that is. Martha moved toward Jesus anyway. She moved toward him. Upon hearing of his arrival, she left the gathered mourners there and she sought out Jesus. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So this could have been an accusation. Could have been a statement of blame. At the very least, it strikes me as a profession of hurt, of deep woundedness. But it was also, I think, a statement of faith. Where is Jesus for you when life is hard? Do you ignore him? Do you push him away? Martha went to Jesus with her pain just pounding upon her heart and mind. She went to Jesus. She sought him out, even in her complaints. And she encountered the living God in that moment. You know, Moses, before the burning bush, heard the very same words as Mary. I am. My friends, the events of this day in Scripture are a foreshadowing of the actual triumph of Easter. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, there was a Jewish superstition that held that when a person died, their soul stayed near the grave, near their body for three days, hoping to return to the body. So it was accepted that from four days and beyond, there was just absolutely no hope of resuscitation at all. So question for you. How many days had Lazarus been in the tomb? Four. 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 My friends, the I am is the God of the impossible. He's not daunted by death or anything that afflicts us, anything you face. Jesus is always moving on your behalf. Now, his timing is not always our timing. In fact, it usually isn't with me. But with Jesus, it's never too late. You are never out of his reach. He is the God of the impossible. The I am, yes. Martha told Mary, the teacher is here and he's asking for you. So Mary quickly went to Jesus. In her immense grief and disappointment, she didn't push him away. She didn't say, oh, tell him it's too late. She went to him, and she uttered the same words as Martha. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus did not rebuke Mary. He wept with her. I don't think Jesus was weeping for Lazarus in this moment. I really think he was weeping for Mary. For her grief, for her sorrow, for her pain... What you endure is not hidden from God. He knows. 
He completely identifies with us in our sorrow. Now Mary and Martha knew of, and they placed hope in an ultimate future resurrection, just as we do. And Martha even hinted at that, uh, of a hope of something closer, of something nearer. Sometimes, I've done this, I don't know if you have, sometimes we're not comforted by a future resurrection. Sometimes we want our resurrection in life to be a little closer to home, a little more relevant to where we're at right in the moment. Well, for Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the promise of the future resurrection came crashing into their present. My friends, the I am is here for you now, today. Resurrection overcomes. Lazarus was restored to life. And life is wonderful. It's the power to exist. It's the power to persist. But resurrection overcomes all. All that you face, all that you endure. I am the resurrection and the life. In Romans 4.17, the Apostle Paul is declaring this to the believers there in Rome. He is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Our God is profoundly creative. He's fiercely relational And he is the God of your impossible this morning, what we can't reconcile in our human terms. He is the God of your impossible. Seek God in your pain. He knows what's happening in your life. He cares beyond measure. And he's moving on your behalf. Don't turn away from him in your anger or your frustration. Or despair, go to him with your burdens. Martha went there arguably even complaining. Jesus will hear you with anything. He just says, come to me. Because he wants to be a part of it all. Let him journey with you. Let him carry it. So they sought Jesus as friends. They sought Jesus even in their pain. They went to him. And they sought Jesus through worship. In the life of Mary and Martha, we see a a seeking of Jesus through an extravagant worship. And I want to now turn to John chapter 12. We find Jesus again in Bethany. And the Passover week is at hand, just like we're coming to. Now let's look at this dinner scene from John chapter 12. First three verses. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, which, by the way, is a profound act of worship as well. Martha was serving, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table. Can you imagine the scene there, how festive, how joyous they must have felt? He was dead days ago in his grave, and he's reclining at the dinner table with them. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now this dinner account is also told 
in Matthew 26 <clears throat> and Mark 14 as well. Mary and Martha are again with their dear friend Jesus and Lazarus is there, restored to life. Praise God. Mary offers a very unique service to Jesus and this act prompts some significant reaction around the table. Nard is a plant grown, I think, primarily in India, but it's also grown in Nepal and China. It produces a very fragrant oil, and it's very expensive, <clears throat> said to be valued at close to the yearly wage of a manual laborer. So Mary's act was a service of deep devotion. It was also an offering of extravagance. Drying Jesus' feet with her hair was a gesture of deep love, but it was also a very bold expression. You know, she let her hair down in public, which was a very rare occurrence for a respectable Jewish woman at that time. Mary's offering was an act of lavish love, and it was fixated on Jesus, the object of her care and her adoration, not caring what others might think. Caring for the feet of a dinner guest was a, an act usually reserved for a servant. So Mary's expression of love was sacrificial. It was an offering of submission. And now, please understand, I'm not making a point about cost or about expense, but I ask you, is the offering of yourself to Jesus extravagant? Is it humble? Is it sacrificial? Moses delivers these words of Yahweh to all of Israel way back in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Have you ever tried that? What does that look like? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I don't know that I've achieved that, friends. I have a book in my collection at home. It's a, it's a trilogy called The Singer Trilogy. It was written back in the 70s. It's an allegorical retelling of the New Testament by an author named Calvin Miller, I don't know if you, some of you may have heard of him. He was a noted author, a pastor, professor, and he's actually now in heaven. But the first book of the trilogy is called The Singer. And it portrays Jesus as a singer of a song that was nobler and purer than any that the world had ever heard. In one of the short chapters, a singer encounters a prostitute on the street. And I just wanted to share a very few lines with you from that from this uh, chapter, the singer met a woman in the street. She leaned against an open door and sang through her half-parted lips a song that he could barely hear. He knew her friendship was for hire. She was, without a doubt, a study in desire. Her hair fell free around her shoulders and intrigue played upon her lips. Are you betrothed? She asked. No, only loved, he said. But do you pay for love? 
No, he answered, but I owe it everything. I owe love everything. And thus began the transformation of that individual. We owe everything to God. We owe everything to the God of love. Mary offered to Jesus a gift of extravagant worship. Do we offer Jesus an offering of the same heartfelt passion? Is your life, is my life, a daily, weekly, hourly expression of worship? This too is a way we seek Jesus. Now, in this series, in this season of Lent, we're setting aside certain things so as to very intentionally focus on Jesus. Do you seek him in your daily, weekly rhythm? Psalm 42 offers this portrayal. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. As the deer pants for water, do you seek after God. So we see a modeling here in the lives of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, a pattern of seeking after Jesus. They were his friends. They sought him out. They spent time with him. They listened to him. They listened to his voice. They soaked in his teaching. They basked in his presence. Mary and Martha sought out Jesus and they moved toward him even in their pain. They didn't push him away. They did not close their hearts to him. But they allowed Jesus into their grief. Letting him abide there in that grief with them. And I encourage you to do the same. Mary has given us a very beautiful, intimate portrait of a humble, sacrificial, extravagant worship. May we be moved to boldly lavishly worship Jesus in every aspect of our lives. Every aspect. Now, I think I'm done just a little bit early. I apologize, although some of you might appreciate that. I don't know. I don't know. Worship team, I am close to wrapping up, so feel free to come on back. Um, but may you seek Jesus more fiercely than ever. May you seek time with him as your forever friend. May you open your heart to him in your pain. May you turn into him, not away from him. He sees. He cares. He knows. He is the I am for your journey. May your life be an offering of extravagant worship unto your Lord and Savior. Amen.